On this information-packed episode of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, we discuss handling domestic abuse, eyewash station requirements, recent updates on the coronavirus, proposed revisions to the ASC interpretive guidelines, and in our focus segment, discuss how surveys are getting more difficult and how to be better prepared to deal with not only CMS regulations, but other regulatory requirements in the ASC setting. This episode of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey is sponsored by Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies, the nation's leading ASC regulatory compliance firm. Are you preparing for a Medicare, state, or accreditation survey, or have recently experienced a difficult survey? Or do you want to make sure you are always survey ready? AHS is your answer. Our dedicated team of experts is ready to assist you. AHS can make you ready for your next survey, complete your plan of correction, and work with you to always be ready for a survey. We also provide retainer-based services to oversee your regulatory compliance, including preparing policies, forms, education programs, overseeing your quality improvement, risk management, infection control, and emergency preparedness programs. For more information, call John Gailey today at 585-594-1167 or visit our website at age-strategies.com. Welcome to episode 88 of the ASC podcast with John Gailey for February 17th, 2020, recording from our temporary studio on Hilton Head Island, South Carolina. This is Sue Cronkite, Chief Researcher for the ASC podcast and Senior Nurse Consultant for Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies. And I'm here with John Gailey, recognized as one of the nation's leading experts in the ambulatory surgery industry. John is the author of a number of books about the industry and the owner of Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies the industry leader in ASC regulatory and accreditation, governance, and quality improvement oversight. So we are here on, air quotes, vacation (laughs) in Hilton Head for 10 days. Doesn't seem like much of a vacation yet. As a matter of fact, can look out our window here. Not Mm -hmm. very easy because we've had to close all the curtains here, but I can see this little crack there with rain pouring (laughs) down here on Hilton Head. So we thought this yep. would be a good time to, to record. And this is unusual. We never record in the morning. I know. We're, we're loading up on our coffee. That's right. <laughs> I, we might have to stop the recording every once in a while to, to refill those coffee cups. So. Speaking of coffee, that was one of our... We had a rough start to our vacation. Oh, my goodness, yes. So two things. First of all... You had tried to mix up the coffee. We do coffee in a blender with some, you know, for for the keto thing. Yeah. And um, started the blender and it just went everywhere. The Literally whole kitchen exploded. was, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so we had to get, uh, it turns out the blender was broken, but so we had to get a new one and we, you know, used all the towels and right. mopped that up. And then when we were getting on the elevator yeah. coming in here, we each had we had so much stuff. We each had our, our luggage carts, and we finally jammed ourselves into the <laughs> elevator and then realized we were both stuck at the back of the elevator and couldn't press couldn't the get button. Out. <laughs> so I pulled off my boot, and I'm stretching around and pressed the button. It was just, yeah. I don't know, but we made it. We did. And, and I feel like we've really moved in here, too, because this is a two-bedroom condo here. But this is the longest mm-hmm. we've ever stayed, uh, you know, for 10 yep. days. So Yeah, we decided to do that because... 
a lot of times by the time you finally relax, especially because we do do a lot of work on the right. vacations. So, you know, it doesn't really feel like vacation until you're a few days in anyways. But we did get in some swimming yesterday before yes. we, so that was really nice. The heated pool outside. It heated was really, pool in a hot tub. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I do hope to get down to Savannah for a day. It's only about an hour mm -hmm. away from here, so hopefully we'll make a trip out. But this is kind of the earliest I think we've ever come down to mm -hmm. Hilton Head. So, and it's um, very hit or miss, I think. We yeah. just happened to hit a week with a lot of rain and 50s to 60s, but right. we can look out and see the ocean. So That's even right. if we're not outside, we're and we got some board games nice with spot. us. Notice that I yep. set up Wingspan. That's our new yep. obsessive yep. Uh, board game here. <laughs> so we'll play a little bit of Wingspan this afternoon if we ever get this recording done. Um, and, you know, it's funny. We set up this temporary studio in the den in our condo here. And, of course, we have uh, three different portable studios. This is the biggest one that we have. Uh, every time I set it up, I have problems with it. Mm -hmm. I think I concluded that one of the channels is bad on this very expensive board we have, but it sounds good. But we do apologize if the sound isn't quite as good as the studio at mm -hmm. home. Yeah. One thing I do like, though, is we've set everything up on this card table yes. in the den in the condo. <laughs> but I can look right at you, Sue, mm -hmm. which is yep, nice. So we're talking to each yeah. other instead of kind of peeking to the side. Yeah, because yes. in our studio at, at home, mm -hmm. you know, we're sitting side by side. So yes. I got to see if I can rearrange things because this is really nice because mm -hmm. it's a little bit easier to give each other cues and yep. and talk uh, to each other rather than side by side. <laughs> so we have a puppy update. We got another picture and they're growing fast. They're looking so big. It'll be about six weeks before we get the puppy, yeah. before we pick her up. I'm going to have to see if I can put a picture of the puppy on the mm. podcast website here. We just don't know which one. We just don't know which one yet. <laughs> There's a right. pile of them and the mom is so pretty and she looks so happy. Yeah. And I've already uh, put on my calendar puppy paternity leave. Yes. <laughs> I said, <laughs> you better set it aside or somebody's <laughs> going to grab you. So we put puppy paternity leave. <laughs> so don't expect uh, in about six weeks from now, if you're looking for me to be on the road, I'm, I'm going to be at home. I'll still be working, but yes, we'll be, uh, there'll be a puppy on there'll his be lap. a puppy on my lap the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> so Sue, I did a whole bunch of uh, redesign of the website. So anybody that goes up there will see a major change. If I may say so myself, I think it looks a lot prettier. It definitely is making it easier to provide links to things we discussed in the podcast. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the old system was quite cumbersome. So I'm hoping yep. that with the new website design, now you can actually, when you're doing the new segment and your research, mm -hmm. you can actually put the uh, links in and then it goes yeah. over, well, almost automatically into the other systems. So. Yeah. Yeah. I love that because a lot of times, you know, we talk briefly about something, but this way people can really delve in if there's a subject that right. they're and very I, interested in. And I think I'm, I'm afraid that we might have even missed putting some links in in the past. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm hoping that that won't happen in the future yeah. as we make these promises to our audience. Yeah, we do sometimes forget things. So we've also integrated a learning management system that's going to be used when we bring out our premium podcast, which we are recording while we're on vacation here. <laughs> uh, we have two that are under development. And then we're also developing a series of boot camps. The first one's going to be the administrator boot camp, which is a major undertaking, which will prepare new administrators to take on their role there. And of course, I think even experienced administrators might find very useful to go mm -hmm. through this course. So that course is about half done right now. We're still working on it. And we're going to probably roll out like an introductory thing before it's completely mm -hmm. done. Because um, people are very anxious to get it. I they think. are very much so. And some of our clients are really, mm -hmm. you know, that are uh, new administrators are really anxious. The way this is works is there's a lot of content mm -hmm. going into it. So you can uh, log on and you can see, you know, all the information, but we're also narrating it. The narration is what's taking the time. So we'll probably do something introductory without the narration or mm -hmm. without all the narration or, you know, as you log in, you'll start to see narration being added to those things and, and can listen to it as you go along. And I also wanted to note that I'm currently updating the survey guide for the 2020 edition. Right now, the latest one out there is 2017. 
Uh, and I hope to have that out in the next few weeks. Uh, so I was working on that last night while we were watching television, Sue, mm-hmm. and uh, I really <laughs> messed up the format. So now I had yeah. to go back and like lost two hours there. But the problem is, as we're going to talk about in a few minutes, uh, the interpretive guidelines are really haven't been revised since the 2017 edition, which I already have out there. But I'm trying to integrate into the survey guide a, a lot of the updated information that's come out from CMS that hasn't mm-hmm. gotten into the interpretive guidelines yet. And it's just, it's very difficult to figure out how to put it into the book format. So I'm still working on that. I think I'll have it solved, hopefully by the end of our vacation here. Mm-hmm. So one recent issue that we've encountered is one of our centers had a woman come running in from outside. She was being being chased by um, her abusive husband and she was injured and um, the they had a security guard there who called the administrator and she came down and brought her into the back into one of the locked rooms and sat with her while they waited for the police to come. And it just made us think it's something that probably people should discuss what would they do because luckily the husband didn't try right. to come in but you know that's something that we, we could really encounter and you should maybe have a plan right and of course uh, this happened in New York State and of course New York State requires you to have a policy in place to handle you know abuse situations uh, but I think our problem is that we don't always uh, like actually go through what you would do if somebody were in that yes. situation you had a great idea while we were uh, mm-hmm. walking through this first of all one of the questions that was asked is is this an incident report Mm-hmm. And uh, the administrator said, I don't think it's an incident report because, you know, it didn't involve a patient. And I said, first of all, it absolutely is an incident report, something unusual that happened. Mm-hmm. And these are the types of things that surveyors want to see. They want to know that, yeah. you know, you have processes in place to handle any type of an emergency. This is almost like an external disaster in, in a way. And yeah. that's where you came yeah. up with a great idea. Just thinking about maybe doing a drill and talking through all the different options because there are, this could have been a very dangerous situation. Right. Obviously, the woman was in danger, but the, often this is the kind of thing that can bring other people into it. If the husband right. had come, if he had had a gun, if he had, Could you know, there's so many different things. Yeah. So what are the um, safeguards you can have in place? And we also, it kind of started us down a whole road of thinking of just how to help our community with things like that. Right. And we were talking about a lot of the centers may have signs up, you know, where to call and the resources right. if you are in a domestic abuse situation. But I would suggest that people put things like that in the restrooms, either a pamphlet or a card, because you want them to be available in a place where the woman would be by herself and wouldn't have to hide the fact that she was writing down a number or picking up a card. Yeah. So I think our takeaway is consider doing a drill to uh, walk your staff through what they would do in that type of a situation and just be prepared, always be prepared. And you wanted to mention that you've noticed the surveys are getting a lot tougher. Yeah. You know, I, we just went through another survey with one of our clients and at the exit conference, the doctor was surprised at all of the things that were looked at. And mm-hmm. he said, you know, we've never had this before. You know, what what's happening? And of course, I had already told him four weeks before during a mock survey <laughs> to be prepared for this, but I don't think yeah. he believed it. And we keep saying this, but it needs to be said mm-hmm. again and, and made a, a big deal here. Just because you passed your last survey mm-hmm. and you've passed with flying colors does not mean that the next one's going to be easy. Yeah. Surveyors are getting tougher. They're being forced. I mean, all the training that we have has uh, intensified and we're told to be tougher, you know, in mm-hmm. these surveys because CMS is coming down on the accrediting organizations that are doing this and they're coming down on the heart, on the states, you know, to make sure that they're really enforcing the interpretive mm-hmm. guidelines and other regulatory requirements. And something that I didn't realize that happened recently is in the resurvey, if they come back to check on a specific citation right. that maybe has been fixed, that they do look at everything again. That's so they right. might find something they didn't even find on the original survey. Yeah. 
I mean, I think that's been a theme throughout this is you need to be prepared, but just don't assume or don't rest on your laurels. And even if you did really great on the last survey and you're a great organization, really what's happening is, especially with accrediting organizations, they expect to up the ante. They want to know mm -hmm. that you're getting better, that you're not just staying where you were before. So their expectations on a follow-up survey is going to be a lot higher than it was, you know, for mm -hmm. the previous survey because of the nature of quality improvement. You're mm -hmm. always improving. I guess that goes back to what you always say, always be prepared for a survey because you're not doing this just to pass a survey. You're doing it because you want your care to be the best that, that you can possibly make it. Right. Uh, also, we want to talk about eyewash stations again. It's a very granular situation. But what we've been finding is some places still have bottles, you know, these like quart bottles, if that, uh, that are hung up on these like green uh, stations, you know, located throughout the center. And while it's not a terrible thing to have, it, it does not meet the requirements for an eyewash station. An eyewash mm -hmm. station has to be hooked up to a water source, you know, that can supply a significant amount of water mm -hmm. over a period of time. And that water source has to be temperature controlled. So you mm -hmm. have to have some type of a mixing valve on that. Well, first of all, if the only thing you have is, uh, you know, some type of bottle uh, on a wall that's not adequate to meet the requirements of uh, OSHA with regard to eyewash stations. And you mm -hmm. will have to install a full-blown uh, eyewash station in critical areas. And how many should you have? It, does it have to be within 10 seconds of any correct. area where the chemicals are or where something dangerous could be? That's correct. So, you know, uh, like one of our new centers, unfortunately, has hazardous materials that are more than 10 seconds apart from each other, mm -hmm. which means they actually have to have two eyewash stations, one okay. to cover the one and another to cover the, that second location. Um, and that's been a bit of a challenge. Actually, we spent probably a good hour just trying to figure out where to put mm -hmm. those eyewash stations in there. And this is a, a very high-end surgery center. It's just going to be gorgeous. So the owner doesn't want to put eyewash stations just about yeah. just anywhere. Yeah. So uh, we really worked hard on that. So so that's something that surveyors are definitely looking for is that you have adequate uh, eyewash station coverage. Okay. And signage. Correct. That's a very good point too. <laughs> so one of your centers mm -hmm. uh, that we visited recently has this wonderful eyewash station. Unfortunately, it's in a room that doesn't have a sign mm -hmm. indicating that the eyewash station is. As a matter of fact, we didn't even know. I mean, we, they've been a client of ours for four years. We mm -hmm. didn't even know they had an eyewash sort of station. Away yeah. <laughs> so there. needless to say, it's nice <laughs> because it, it meets the requirements, but because there's no signage, it, it's useless to, mm -hmm. to the center. So they're going to have to add that. So what would an episode be without an update on the coronavirus? Sue, what's going on? So we've been trying to follow the shortages that there were expected, and it does look like some of those things are happening. I've seen um, reports of people running short on masks or suppliers saying that, that they're having to cut back on how much they can ship. Right. So between that and the continued demand, it can become an issue. So one thing we had talked about at one of our centers, they said when they set out the boxes of masks, people are just grabbing handfuls right. of those. So we would recommend that you keep the masks there for people to come in that have any of those symptoms, but hand them out yourself. Right. Don't just leave an open box. And really, nobody's recommending that people just wear them around randomly. It's right. more for people that um, may have symptoms. Right. Um, I guess my biggest concern right now, and certainly a lot of the literature is, uh, you know, is this going to turn into a pandemic? Mm -hmm. And uh, mm -hmm. I'm very fearful that it might. Uh, given all the the uh, information that's come out recently, of course, you know it's up and down by the day, depending upon how many deaths were reported the mm -hmm. previous day. And trying to get accurate information, and yeah. So on February six, CMS published a document called "Information for Healthcare Facilities Concerning the, the 2019 Novel Coronavirus Illness, also known as 2019 NCOV, on the Policies and Memos to States and Regions section of the CMS website, and it's stated in part. 
the following. To ensure the health and safety, CMS expects healthcare staff and surveyors, contractors, federal, state, and local, to comply with the basic infection control practices. For 2019 novel coronavirus, CDC is currently advising adherence to standard contact airborne precautions, including the use of eye protection. And for more information, see CDC's interim infection control recommendations for 2019 NCOV, and that we have posted on our uh, website. Healthcare staff should also adhere to CDC recommendations on standard hand hygiene practices using alcohol-based hand rub and hand sanitizer as a preferred method of hand hygiene in most clinical situations. If hands are visibly soiled, wash with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Healthcare facilities should ensure that hand hygiene supplies are readily available and see the CDC hand hygiene and healthcare settings for more detailed information, which is a document you should obviously all have Mm -hmm. in your centers anyway. So uh, I know, Stu, that you have been on my case about yeah. using hand sanitizers more frequently, mm-hmm. even while walking around on vacation here. Yes. I mean, we certainly, we do a good job in the center, <laughs> mm-hmm. in the uh, the room here. But uh, beyond here, you're right. We need to be very careful mm-hmm. with uh, people that we're in contact with, especially when we're on a, at a resort, you know, where we're, we're running mm-hmm. into people from all over the world. I think anywhere, whether it's because of this virus or the flu, I keep one in my car, I keep one in my purse, and I just, you know, if you've been walking around, you're touching things that... A whole lot of other people, and I think that's with nurses, we kind of see germs everywhere, right. so we're always very conscious of that. And, and to that point, one of the things that we've done with all of our clients, and we'll be posting it on the uh, ASC Central membership website shortly, is uh, we've redeveloped some policies, not only for the coronavirus, but basically for any mm-hmm. uh, infectious disease that, that occurs in a surgery center. So, you know, we, we don't want to have to keep writing policies every time a new mm-hmm. um, disease comes out. Uh, you yeah. know, Ebola was, uh, you know, the big thing a couple of years ago. Now we've got, the, um, you know, the coronavirus. So now we have one overall policy that, that covers all of this. So uh, if you're a member of the uh, ASC podcast with John Gailey, uh, that'll be available on the website shortly as mm-hmm. we finish it up. And there will be some forms up there also. Okay. And straight from the CDC, uh, patients with confirmed or possible COVID-19, which is um, what we're calling it now, infection should wear a face mask during medical evaluations. Healthcare personnel should adhere to standard contact and airborne precautions, as you said, John, including the use of eye protection and 95 respirators, gowns, and gloves when caring for patients with COVID-19 infection. And as I mentioned, the CDC does not currently recommend the general public use of face masks. Instead, the agency recommends using everyday preventative actions, such as hand washing, covering a cough, and staying home when sick. And we put in a flow chart that the CDC had put up um, for evaluating patients just, you know, in your center. And with some of our clinics, I know there have been questions, what do you do if you're testing somebody and you don't know if they're positive or not? So we're watching for better guidance on that. Basically, right now, they're just saying, if you suspect it, you should test them, keep them in a negative pressure room. And call the authorities. Call, yeah, report you know, that. The problem we have is we don't know once <laughs> once we call mm-hmm. the authorities how quickly they'll respond and what do we do with that patient, especially in a surgery center yeah. where, uh, you know, we don't have overnight uh, mm-hmm. capabilities. Mm-hmm. So hopefully people will take that seriously and uh, give us some advice on, as to how to transport them uh, yeah. with respect to a local hospital. There is some information on home care, but it seems to be more of a long-term home care. So I think it's just making sure that if you do send them home for right now, at least make sure that... You talk to them about staying isolated and right, that right. type of thing. And ARN has a great kit with lots of links to different information from a lot of agencies. If you're a member, take a look at that. 
So for the episode notes, uh, mm-hmm. we have uh, created a whole series of links for uh, the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. And we have a whole new section on the ASC Central uh, membership website, too, which deals with the coronavirus. So there's a lot of information out there. Hopefully this will help you. And as I said, shortly we'll have uh, a policy available on uh, on the membership site. Yeah. So in December, the uh, CMS published the uh, Burden Reduction and Discharge Planning Final Rules, Guidance, and Processes, which is basically an update to the interpretive guidelines. Uh, and specifically, there was a section on an update to the interpretive guidelines for ASCs. However, they don't actually provide really any interpretive guidelines for the ASC. They updated the regulations on the website with note that they're, that the interpretive guidelines are going to follow. I've included a link on the episode notes uh, to get into this thing, but keep in mind it's about 700 pages long and the ASC section is very small. I just wanted to go through some of the real highlights of it though. The guidance was provided largely for the other providers, so the ASC section is actually quite small. And as I mentioned earlier, I am going to be updating the survey guidebook uh, shortly to include what's in there, at least what we have uh, as of the time of the publication. I don't think the interpretive guidelines are going to be available for ASCs until somewhere in the second quarter, if then. So I just want to go over some of the more important things. And we have talked about this in previous episodes, but there's a little more specificity here. So 41641B is a standard for hospitalization. And currently, you're required to have a transfer agreement with a hospital or make sure that all of your surgeons have privileges at a local hospital. So 41641B includes those standards. And so Section 3 has been updated with the following language. The ASC must periodically provide the local hospital with written notice of its operations and patient population served. Now, notice the word periodically in there. It doesn't say how frequently. I I guess we would probably anticipate that that would be annually, but given that there's a lack of specificity there, uh, it can be interpreted in a number of different ways. Unfortunately, because the interpretive guidelines for this regulatory change have not been issued, we don't have any guidance as to what the format of that letter should be. We will be uh, providing um, an example uh, letter to notify hospitals shortly as soon as we get some guidance either from the accrediting organizations or for CMS itself. So we've talked about in previous podcasts that 41652, which is a section on uh, H&Ps, has been rewritten. Currently, uh, Part 2 or Section 2 says significant medical history and results of uh, physical examination must be available in the medical record for each patient. The words as applicable have been added to this section. Now, here's the problem. Again, we have to remember that the major accrediting organizations still require a full history and physical within 30 days, and you must check with your individual state to see what those regulations state. So be very careful with making any changes in your policies with regard to histories and physicals because these could end up getting in a pretty serious t- trouble if you're not you know, following your accrediting organization or your state. If you are in a state that would allow this or you're not accredited and in a state that would allow you not to follow the CMS regulations, you still have to do a significant amount. So you might not require an HMP for every one of those cases, but you're going to have to develop and maintain a policy that identifies those patients who require medical history and physical examination prior to surgery. Mm -hmm. And the policy must include the time frame for the medical history and physical examination to be completed prior to surgery, addressed but is not limited to the following factors, patient age, diagnosis, type and number of procedures scheduled to be performed on the same surgery date, known comorbidities, and the 
planned anesthesia level. And it needs to be based on any applicable national recognized standards of practice and guidelines and any applicable state and local health and safety laws. So uh, again, be very careful. Uh, Certainly don't just jump in and and no longer require history and physical Mm -hmm. if you are indeed in a state that doesn't require them or or not accredited organization. I I can't emphasize that enough because uh, you can get in some pretty serious trouble during accreditation survey or a state survey if you if you don't follow the rules. Now, 41644 has been extensively rewritten. This is the environmental section and uh, the following 3 Q tags have been updated. Q tags, for those of you who don't know, are the ways that uh, surveyors cite you for violations of parts of the conditions for coverage. So Q105 states, an ASC may place alcohol-based hand-rub dispensers in its facility if the dispensers are installed in a manner that adequately protects against inappropriate access. So that has been a change to that policy. Q106 Part 5 says that when a sprinkler system is shut down for more than 10 hours, the ASC must evacuate the building or a portion of the building affected by the system outage until the system is back in service, or you're going to have to establish a fire watch until the system is back in service. So the important takeaway with these changes in in the QTAG 106 is that you need to have a policy in place uh, what to do in the case of a sprinkler system malfunction, either just evacuate the building and not do procedures or have a fire watch. And we've had this situation in a couple of our clients where sprinkler systems have been out of date. And in one particular case, the sprinkler system was out of commission for months, uh, which required a full-time, I mean, actually there was a full-time person whose sole job was to uh, be the fire watch for that place. And he literally walked Mm -hmm. around the place with a fire extinguisher and uh, a walkie-talkie so that if a fire were to develop, they, you know, they had to jump into action right away knowing the uh, the sprinklers were not available to uh, protect the center. And then uh, QTAG 107, which is 41644B6, in case you care, um, is uh, <laughs> the requirement that an ASC must be in compliance with Chapter 21.3.2.1 of the, uh, the Life Safety Code, uh, which uh, requires you to uh, inspect periodically uh, the doors in hazardous areas. So if you don't have a process in place for doing that, you need to set that up. And again, that's something that we're working on within the ASC uh, Central Membership website. Um, I don't think it's up there yet, but we'll be up there hopefully shortly. So again, if you uh, haven't already set up some policies to put in place for the hazardous doors or hazardous areas mm-hmm. and uh, inspecting those doors on a regular basis, you will be asked that question during a life safety survey now. So I just want to, uh, you know, can kind of conclude this section. I know it's a lot of information we threw at you very quickly is that we're going to keep an eye out for the actual interpretive guidelines for this section. What we've given you is just the regulatory, you know, guidance that's been provided. And uh, I am in the process of rewriting my, my book, as I mentioned, but the challenge is given the lack of uh, a promised time frame, we just don't know when uh, CMS is going to come out with it. So I just feel like I've got to get the survey guide out because there have been so many changes since the last edition that can really impact everybody. I also want to give an update on ASC Central, which is the the membership website we talked about. We're very excited about the launch of ASC Central. It's an exclusive membership website that provides a one-stop ASC regulatory and accreditation compliance operations and financial management resource for busy administrators, nurse managers, and business office managers. There are competing services that cost 10 times what we charge per month, and the patron members of the ASC podcast with John Gailey get free access to ASC Central. Right now, you have an introductory cost, but it will be going up in the next week or so. So if you join today, your price is guaranteed for 12 months. Recent updates to the ASC Central website include a new section specifically about the coronavirus, including recommended policies and procedures and forms. 
links to videos for use in staff training, a growing list of state regulatory resources, links to most recent CMS regulatory updates, and links to the same training resources that surveyors use to perform a survey. So you can actually get uh, the same training that the, the surveyors get. So for more information about becoming a member, visit ASCPodcast.com. Let's take a short break and we'll come back in our focus segment, which is uh, to talk about the regulations that ASC faces other than the CMS conditions for coverage. So during a recent survey, one of the owners of uh, the surgery center during the exit conference asked the surveyor if they would tell Triple HC that they should provide all of the surgery centers with a list of all the changes that occurred between surveys. And of course, both the surveyor and I, you know, were kind of shocked at the question because uh, it really showed, you know, how little he understood uh, the regulatory environment in which mm-hmm. we work in. The accreditation standards, you know, those you can publish any changes between surveys, but there are so many other things. You know, the CMS conditions for coverage, the interpreted guidelines, and the clarifications, um, those are only part of the whole picture. That's only part of all the regulations that an ambulatory surgery center uh, must meet in order to, you know, continue functioning. And a surveyor is not only going to be looking at those conditions for coverage, but things such as, uh, you know, light safety, OSHA, uh, Etc. So all of those regulations are things that I, I thought uh, we'd at least list them all today so that our audience is aware of all of the different things that you must do in addition to the conditions for coverage. So let's start with the the uh, with CMS and its requirements. And I can almost understand why he would say that there's so many different parts and pieces that people have to look at. It's very yeah. hard to keep up to date on all of this. So with CMS, there is the conditions for coverage, which are by far the most common regulations you'll encounter, you know, in your everyday running of the center, the interpretive guidelines and the clarifications. So uh, you asked me before we recorded this, what's because we really don't talk a lot about the clarifications. Mm-hmm. We know mm-hmm. the interpretive guidelines. So the interpretive guidelines are really only published every, you know, four to five years, if that. I think, as I said, the most recent one came out in 2015. We yes. expect it this year. So that's about five years ago. But in the interim, laws change, regulations change, and, uh, you know, surveyors need to have updated information. So that's why CMS publishes the clarifications. And the clarifications are kind of interim uh, information that will eventually get into the interpretive guidelines, but Mm -hmm. aren't there yet. So, and there are a lot of clarifications that have come out since 2015. And, you know, we just talked about some in the first segment here, Mm -hmm. uh, which really don't have any clarifications yet, uh, but but at least give some guidance as to all the things that that have changed. Mm -hmm. What they're looking at. Right. So now that we've talked about CMS, let's start with the life safety code. Going forward, the NFPA 99 and 101, which is the version year 2012. Right. So as we all know, or hopefully you know, if you've been listening to our podcast for a long time, uh, CMS adopted the 2012 version of the NFPA code. I know that's eight years old, but that is kind of the way CMS works. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, you know, the previous version accepted was 2001. So don't expect revision anytime soon, even though uh, NFPA changes those that code. I believe it's every two years. So CMS is becoming much more rigid about code enforcement also. So NFPA uh, 99 and 101, uh, you really need to know about the changes that occurred using the 2012 life safety code mm-hmm. um, and make sure your surgery center has adopted all those things. And so if you're being surveyed now for the first time in three years 
even though the, the life safety code was adopted previously, now the enforcement is getting a lot stricter. And really, all the life safety surveys are getting much more difficult in, in recent years. So life safety code, NFPA 99 and 101, and actually 110 is also involved here, deals with a number of areas. Probably some of the most significant changes are in the area of electrical systems, which include emergency power. And organizations that have a, a generator you know, must follow those uh, requirements, and they need to make sure if they're providing uh, general anesthesia, they're going to have to make sure that that electrical system includes the proper number of transfer switches, and those transfer switches need to be connected to three branches of power. Uh, again, we've talked about that before. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail here, but that's one of the most common citations right mm-hmm. now is not having that level of, of control over your emergency power. Medical gases, of course, falls under the life safety code, making sure that you follow the, the requirements for assuring medical gases are, are provided safely. Doors, we talked about in that part one, making sure that inspections of doors occur periodically. And by the way, this is kind of a big thing. We, I was at a center, uh, what was it, last week, and they mm-hmm. had just installed a new door, which was already damaged because it was the medical gas door because the uh, the tanks keep bumping into the door yeah. and knocking off mm-hmm. portions of the door. Uh, so inspecting those doors on a regular basis to make sure that they're not compromised, making sure that the hardware works well, which is another problem. You know, I know certainly in our house, you know, our, <laughs> our doorknobs seem to be always malfunctioning uh, in a surgery center, which gets a lot more use than the doors mm-hmm. in our house. That's something that you got to keep a close eye mm-hmm. on. And the self-closing. Right. You need to make sure that any of those hazardous areas have self-closing hardware in order to close those doors. Fire and smoke barriers, making sure, again, most common citation mm-hmm. here is, you know, breaks in the, in the smoke barriers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's such an easy thing to fix, mm-hmm. uh, though it's hard to, to monitor because people are constantly going up, you know, into the ceilings mm-hmm. there and, and moving things around, especially those IT guys yeah. are always <laughs> running new wires here. Yeah, and as I, you said before, if, if you have any work done, just make sure that everything's sealed off again. Right. You know, and, and sometimes there are areas where you just don't look frequently. So right. it can be a, an easy one to miss. And those types of citations by, um, you know, life safety code surveyors are considered serious. Mm-hmm. Might not be to you, but yes. it is to them because that means that the place is no longer, you know, safe from a fire. So you could end up with a, a condition level citation if there's enough breaks in that. Fire alarm systems need to be uh, properly connected to to the generator and needs to be labeled properly. Uh, you're going to have to maintain that egress uh, and, you know, pathways, uh, make sure that you're following all the testing requirements. Uh, so the surveyors are going to be looking for uh, records that demonstrate all the testing is done on a regular basis. And also, obviously, make sure that your state licensure regulations are followed, which could be very different than the uh, than the CMS requirements. And in, in the worst case, or when you uh, are required as part of a survey to uh, make some significant changes, and the EES is probably the, the most common area where this is a problem, be ready to prepare uh, You know, a waiver. We've done a couple uh, time-limited waivers for some of our clients that have aging uh, emergency electrical systems, mm-hmm. or I should say electrical systems that don't fully meet the code. It's not a danger to our patients, but you know the organization can't afford or can't, in the mm-hmm. time frame given, install the, the new changes mm-hmm. that are required. So uh, if uh, and feel free to reach out to us if you need a time-limited waiver. We can certainly help with that. Uh, next section is HIPAA. Uh, again, these don't show up specifically in the interpretive guidelines and the uh, conditions for coverage, but an organization is going to have to meet the HIPAA requirements. And uh, uh, you know, a number of changes have occurred in that area, especially in the uh, the high tech area. Uh, so make sure you you not only have extensive policies with regard to the HIPAA privacy rules and the HIPAA security rules. Uh, and high tech roles, but you're doing ongoing training of your staff, that you're doing risk assessments of both areas on a regular basis, uh, 
and you know any breaches that occur or any changes or anything that occur in your organization, uh, make sure you're ready to follow up on them. I think the biggest thing in this area right now is just the security rules and doing the uh, security assessment. I don't see most organizations doing this, and indeed, many organizations hire outside computer companies that really don't have the capability of doing an, an appropriate risk assessment. On um, our membership website, we do have a security assessment uh, tool that you can use that was, that's was that been developed uh, to help assess you for your compliance with high tech. It is a very complicated tool, unfortunately, and uh, you're going to have to rely on computer people really to help unless you happen to have some you know really knowledgeable individual in your organization. Of course, probably the biggest, you know, non-CMS requirement that you have to follow are the OSHA requirements, which mm-hmm. do change periodically and you need to follow up. And you need to remember there's two sections to OSHA that we have to follow in our surgery center. We always talk about bloodborne pathogens. And I think we all know the requirements under bloodborne pathogens. But every company in the United States has to follow the general standards. Mm-hmm. And those are the areas where, it, you know, basically it refers to general employee safety. So this is where, uh, you, you know, protection from loud noises, protection from uh, falling objects, uh, you know, uh, making sure that ladder safety is appropriate, ergonomics mm-hmm. fall under this category, uh, protection from uh, hazardous uh, materials, you know, dangerous chemicals, et cetera. Those are all things that fall under the OSHA requirements. So your policies and procedures not only have to meet the bloodborne pathogen standards, but also have to meet the uh, the general standards. And this is training that has to be provided on an annual basis and as needed if any issues occur during the time that you have. Uh, the next area we want to talk about is the anti-kickback statute, which mm-hmm. is a little bit more on the financial side. But we need to make sure that the organization is not engaging in activities that would appear to financially encourage doctors to use your center. And in that area, you have to follow the Stark Act, you know, which provides you some uh, built-in protections if you follow the standards listed under the Stark Act. And, of course, making sure that uh, you uh, follow the False Claims Act laws. Next, uh, another major area is the Department mm-hmm. of Labor regulations, both state and federal. So the Fair Labor Standards Act, FLSA, governs how employees are compensated and when they can take breaks and overtime, you know, salaries and wages sections. And this is an area, especially with the issue of breaks, employee breaks and and lunch, uh, that many uh, organizations have a problem. We've seen situations where uh, organizations, uh, amateur surgery centers in particular, have had uh, fines levied against them for not providing a lunch break for their employees. Mm -hmm. Uh, so you need to make sure that you follow the regulations under the Fair Labor Standards Act. And, you know, just uh, all you have to do really is Google Fair Labor Standards Act and you'll you'll get right to the website from the Department of Labor. And, of course, the Family Medical Leave Act, which actually applies to organizations that have 50 or more employees. Remember, though, it's the number of employees, not FTEs. So if you have an awful lot of part-time or per diem employees, they count as a full employee. So okay. if you go over that 50, you're still going to have to meet the uh, Family Medical Leave Act. Again, what we're doing here is just put everything in perspective. We're going through the non-CMS regulations that an ambulatory surgery center are still required to meet. One area that I find, especially when I'm doing surveys, is local Department of Health regulations. And this usually kind of falls under the food products area, mm-hmm. just making sure you follow the standards if you're providing any food to uh, to patients, mm-hmm. following those requirements. Yep. One thing that we've seen lately in a couple of centers is using large bottle of juice to refill um, the juices for their patients and you have to use individual things. That's just one of the 
easy fixes. Right. And, and actually, we walked into a center recently where they had a toaster. Now, I didn't actually mm-hmm. see the bread, but I knew that if there's a toaster in the patient care area, they must be toasting bread for mm-hmm. the patients. And that really isn't going to be uh, appropriate in, uh, you know, following the uh, state regulations. And of course, mm-hmm. infection control issues are, yes. you know, come up here. I guess we should also mention here a reminder to everybody, the importance of making sure there's no food and drink other than for patients in the patient care areas. Mm-hmm. I found this, especially in the GI centers. I mean, even found coffee in the procedure room uh, because people just yeah. feel that there's, you know, that they don't have to follow the same rules that you have in a surgical center. Or in a in GI a, in center. A area. You want your food in the, I, yeah, <laughs> in the procedure I area. I don't know. I agree. Uh, I agree. But there should be no food or, mm-hmm. or drink uh, in the patient care areas yes. that, that uh, you know, for the staff. So, and there's so many other areas here, uh, you know, for example, radiation safety, you're going to have to follow those regulations and there really isn't anything specifically listed in the CMS regulations, you know, other than a small section there. Mm-hmm. So many things that you're going to have to follow on the radiation safety side. Um, there's the state corporation rules that you have to follow, which govern how, you know, your governing body or your, uh, the board of directors, uh, operates and the types of things you have to do there. One thing that comes to mind is one of the requirements, uh, state corporation law is that in your minutes, you, uh, reflect the fact that you've uh, reviewed the tax return on an annual basis. Mm-hmm. And again, many places forget to include that in their, uh, their governing body minutes. Uh, IRS regulations in general, making sure that you uh, pay taxes on supplies that have been purchased, regardless of whether the vendor has charged that tax to you. So mm-hmm. if you purchase items that are taxable in your state and the vendor has not collected that tax, you are obligated uh, to uh, pay that state taxation uh, agency with the, the appropriate tax for that. And there's the DEA and FDA regulations, which uh, that whole area alone we could mm-hmm. probably spend five or six episodes on. So my question is, how does this all pull together? I know CMS comes in, they will often have a life safety surveyor. How do all these other things get checked and monitored? So as part of your accreditation survey or CMS survey, not only are they going to be looking at the interpretive guidelines and the uh, the conditions for coverage, but all of these areas like OSHA, the anti-kickback statute, Department of Labor regulations, they're going to be watching out for making sure that you have the appropriate policies in place and that any breaches that occur, any situations where you're not following those rules will impact your survey in some way. Uh, again, I think the whole the takeaway here is that just because you following all the conditions for coverage and, you know, read and memorizing interpretive guidelines, it doesn't mean that you're going to, you know, meet all the requirements mm-hmm. that you uh, you have there. And, and of course, this is the challenge I think you have. I, I mean, I often tell this story. I've been doing this for 30 years, 30th anniversary. And when I started out, it wasn't I don't think it was too difficult to stay on top of the regulations mm-hmm. there. But, it, I mean, even then it wasn't uh, easy. Uh, but now the regulatory environment is so much more complex. That's why, again, I mean, not to sell our services again, but, you know, that's why companies like Ambitory Healthcare Strategies exist, is that it's becoming more difficult for the average administrator or nurse manager to be able to meet all these things. We have an entire research department, which you kind of head up to, um, you know, that that oversees uh, how do we keep up with all of these, uh, these regulations. So certainly uh, you need to stay on top of it, you know, Listen to the podcast, obviously, you know, purchase books, attend conferences. And, you know, if that's not enough for you, then consider some outside help because these, uh, these surveys are, are definitely getting a lot tougher in all of these areas or things that you need to be on top of. Okay, well, let's take a break and we'll come back and talk about some upcoming events. So let's talk about some upcoming events in the ASC industry. 
If you'd like your event to be included in the podcast, please send the event information to info at ASCPodcast.com. The Georgia Society of Ambulatory Surgery Centers and South Carolina's Ambulatory Surgery Center Association's Joint Semi-Annual Conference and Trade Show is February 20th and 21st at the Western Atlanta Perimeter North in Atlanta, Georgia. And given that we're in South Carolina, if we had planned this appropriately, <laughs> we, we could probably attend that conference. Triple C is Achieving Accreditation, which is an interactive, in-depth two-day seminar designed to help organizations prepare for a Triple C survey, is March 13th and 14th in Miami. This year's National Advocacy Day is taking place in Washington, D.C. on March 24th and 25th. Participation in ASCA's National Advocacy Day is the best way to build relationships with your members of Congress, advocate for your ASC and the ASC community, and network with other ASC leaders. ARN's Global Surgical Conference is in Anaheim, California, March 28th to April 1st. We're going to be attending the conference and recording a special episode there with interviews of various speakers. The Florida Society of ASC's Quality and Risk Management Conference is April 16th and 17th, 2020 in Buena Vista, Florida. The Iowa Association of ASC's 12th Annual Education Conference is April 17th and 18th, 2020 in Johnston, Iowa. ASCA 2020 is in Orlando, Florida, May 13th through the 16th. It's the ASC industry's most highly regarded and well-attended event. Attendees include physicians, administrators, nurse managers, and owners of ASCs from across the country and throughout the world. At ASCA's annual conference, you will find more than 50 educational sessions designed for ASC professionals at all levels, nationally recognized ASC management experts, networking opportunities with more than a 1,000 of your colleagues, hundreds of exhibitors who can help you find the solutions your ASC is looking for, the latest regulatory and accreditation updates. So make sure you sign up to attend, and of course, we will be there. That's right. And and it's important to note, I believe some of the deadlines are coming up for the uh, discounts. I think you get $100 off if you mm-hmm. you uh, sign up before March. I'm not sure, quite sure of the dates. We'll probably should get that in a future episode. But but definitely sign up faster or as quickly as so you can. Hard. And a reminder to Ambitory Healthcare Strategies clients, uh, you get a $250 off of your retainer bill uh, in June if you attend the ASCA 2020 conference. Mm-hmm. And Becker's 18th Annual Future of Spine and the Spine Orthopedic and Pain Management Driven ASC Conference is June 18th through the 20th at the Swiss Hotel Chicago in Chicago, Illinois. The Florida Society of ASC's Annual Conference and Trade Show is July 15th through the 17th at the Walt Disney World in Orlando, Florida. Ohio State Association Conference will be September 30th through October 1st at the Hilton Columbus Polaris in Columbus, Ohio. Well, that's it for this episode of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey. Please join us again and consider becoming a patron by going to our website at ascpodcast.com and spread the word about our podcast with your friends and colleagues and do us the honor of hitting the subscribe button the sound editor for this episode is susan cronkite executive producer is john gailey research assistance is provided by susan cronkite jenna alvarez judy d'ambrosio alex morneman and Lori rodericks music is provided by media sushi and mike noah The ASC Podcast with John Gailey is hosted on Podbean and is available on all major podcast channels. This podcast is an educational and operational tool and is not intended to be a comprehensive resource for all the rules, regulations, and standards that an ambulatory surgery center must meet. The advice provided should not be considered as, nor does it constitute legal advice or opinion. When reviewing specific situations involving legal and regulatory issues, attorneys and other professionals should be consulted. This has been a production of Eden Group Development, All Rights Reserved. 
We would like to thank this week's sponsors. First, Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies, one of the nation's leading regulatory compliance and financial oversight firms. For a free consultation, contact John Gailey today at 585-594-1167 or through email at info at ah-strategies.com. And Eden Group Development, which publishes ASC Regulatory Compliance Series, the ASC industry's leading books, including the Survey Guide for ASCs, a guide to the CMS conditions for coverage and interpretive guidelines for ambulatory surgery centers, and Ambulatory Surgery Center Governance, a guide for ambulatory surgery center owners and governing body members. These must-have books are available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble or directly from the publisher at reg-books.com. That's R-E-G-B-O-O-K-S dot com. If you are interested in advertising or sponsoring the ASC podcast with John Gailey, please email us at info at ASCpodcast.com. We would love to hear your questions and comments. Please email us at comments at ASCpodcast.com.